0: From religion to wrestling, gumbo to grits, politics to poetry, and all things Southern in between, this is Take on the South. Produced by the Institute for Southern Studies and hosted by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of South Carolina, Take on the South examines the highs and lows of the American South, examines the truths and fictions of the country's most distinctive region, and picks the brains of some of its most accomplished students. To understand the South, you need to take it on, and that's what we'll be doing. Join us as we take on the South. The seventh president of the United States was and remains a controversial figure. A dominant actor on the American scene in the period between the Revolution and Civil War, Andrew Jackson stamped his name on an era. At base, Jacksonian democracy was a force for the empowerment of white men across classes. It was also a time that accelerated the dispossession and death of Native Americans and spurred the expansion of slavery, a period that pitted states' rights against federal authority at a time that witnessed the rise of abolitionism and the defense of slavery. Today we have with us a preeminent historian of the antebellum era, who also happens to be the director of the papers of Andrew Jackson, Professor Michael Woods of the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Michael will help us make sense of what and who Jackson was, and equally important, what it's like to edit his papers, some of the challenges of that project, and some of the rewards. Professor Woods is a prolific, prolific author. His first book, Emotional and Sectional Conflict in the Antebellum United States, published by Cambridge University Press in 2014, received the Southern Historical Association's James A. Rawley Award for the best new book on the sectional conflict. His most recent book, Arguing Until Doomsday, Stephen Douglas, Jefferson Davis, and the Struggle for American Democracy, published by the University of North Carolina Press in 2020, uses a dual biographical approach to study the internal conflict that plagued the antebellum Democratic Party. His work has been funded by a number of organizations, including the uh, National Endowment for the Humanities and the ACLS. Michael, welcome to Take on the South.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's d- I'm delighted to be here.
0: So, before we get into the nitty gritty of the papers and how you edit a president's papers, all of the difficulty surrounding that, let's have a quick chat, really, for the benefit of, of our listeners who might not know about Jackson except in the broad sense. Um, give us a quick thumbnail sketch of, of who he was and when he was active.
1: Sure. Jackson was born in 1767, uh, probably in South Carolina. I think since I'm here, we'll just go with that. Yeah, the uh, wise, <laughs> wise move, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, kind of uh, to think about Southern studies, he has a kind of interesting regional identity. Um, you know, he he spends time in Charleston as a very, very young man, um, but then of course makes his his career in, in Tennessee, um, which has a kind of Western flavor. And so there's a, a whole kind of in thread in the literature about whether is he, is he a Southerner or is he a Westerner? What, what does that mean? How did that maybe change over time? Um, he lived until 1845. Um, he um, you know, People may remember him as kind of having been a political outsider, and he really wasn't that at all. He um, served in Tennessee's uh, Constitutional Convention, served in the House and the Senate, uh, twice in the Senate. He was a Justice of uh, the Tennessee Supreme Court, territorial governor of Florida uh, and a uh, three-time presidential contender and, and two-time presidential winner in, in 1828 and
0: 1832 yeah that's a that's a very helpful summary um, what's at stake do you think in this southern versus western contention
1: well I think I think partly it's it's how to interpret Jacksonian democracy right which opens up a whole other can of worms of course but is is this a movement that rises? As a kind of a Western frontier movement against the East, against the kind of Atlantic uh, focus uh, of, of of the United States, is it a Southern movement that's fundamentally about protecting slavery? Um, is it something else? Um, and so I think people have turned so much to biography on Jackson to understand the party that he, uh, you know, he leads and and this kind of movement that he um, is 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 at the forefront of that that, that kind of. His biography stands in, in some interpretive ways, for for what 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 larger forces are kind of propelling him along.
0: Yeah, I I think you're entirely right. I mean, he has attracted some of the most gifted biographers of really any president, in in fact, Um, and so that's probably why he still occupies a fairly sort of robust stance in our memory because biography is accessible, mm-hmm. and he's an interesting person, too. Mm-hmm. He's also mm-hmm. a president with, with several firsts, isn't that right, wasn't it?
1: There was a, an assassination attempt on him? It's absolutely right. Uh, January 1835, um, which is actually the, the year that we're working on in the, in the project, a, um, kind of a, a lunatic tried to kill him, a, a fellow named Richard Lawrence, who was a, an unemployed house painter uh, living in Washington, D.C., seems to have thought that he was Richard III, um and uh, and that the United States government owed him money and that Jackson's war on the Bank of the United States was preventing payment of that money and so he um, there's a South Carolina connection here a- as well. Uh, the occasion for the attempt was a-, a public funeral for a South Carolina Congressman Warren Davis had, had recently died. Um, Lawrence, tries uh, to shoot Jackson twice. The pistol misfires twice in a row, which is uh, evidently the, the, the odds against that happening are, are enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson, uh, being no stranger to combat, um, went, went after Davis with his cane. Um, and Davis actually ends up getting um, found not guilty by reason of insanity. So it's a kind of an early insanity defense mm-hmm. Um, the prosecuting attorney was Francis Scott Key, so it's kind of a who's who of early American politics. Um, and, uh, and Jackson uh, believed that this was part of a larger plot. He didn't believe in a lone gunman uh, kind, of, kind of theory about this and, and, and thought that a, a Mississippi senator had put, uh, put, put Lawrence up to it. Um, there's no real, real evidence of that, but Jackson was always one to see a, a bigger conspiracy. Mm. Mm. Where,
0: where did the assassination attempt happen?
1: In in Washington. In Washington. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, l- largely unknown or relatively unknown, this event, surely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Un- unknown now. Unknown uh, now. Yeah. Right. Well, quite well covered at the time? Yes.
1: Yes. What was
0: the general reaction to that, by the way? Did people sympathize with Jackson even more? I mean...
1: Well, or not? I mean, it. You know, it's it's right at a moment where, in, in, in I and mean, we might be able to relate to it um, in terms of kind of political polarization. The Whig Party is is coming into being as a as an anti-Jackson coalition, and I think Jackson's tendency to blame uh, George Poindexter of Mississippi, John C. Calhoun of South Carolina, seeing them um, kind of behind the scenes. Um, Certainly there's popular sympathy, but then it immediately becomes a kind of a, a bone of partisan contention. And um, I, I, I think that probably cost uh, Jackson some, some sympathy in, in that, he, you know, this becomes a, another kind of political football.
0: Interesting. I mean, y- yeah, even an assassination attempt becomes kind of co-opted by bipartisan thinking. Mm-hmm. Really, things haven't changed too much in in many ways. He was also, was he uh, the first to sort of retire the national debt? Yeah, the national debt's briefly paid off.
1: uh, For how long, do you remember? During his presidency. It's it's just a few years. Oh, because Because right after, you have the the panic of 1837, uh, and suddenly the public finances uh, don't don't look so good. don't look so good.
0: (laughs) But interesting, interesting. I mean, there's lots of things that go on during his presidency that are fairly well covered by people. I think... uh, what I'd like to do today is talk about the kind of nuts and bolts of how you deal with, with not just a controversial figure, but somebody who, you know, received a lot of correspondence. I mean, the papers themselves aren't just written by Andrew Jackson, are they? Could That's you right. kind of tell us
1: how this works? Right. So, I mean, a little bit about the, about the project. Um, it began in 1971 as an effort first to just compile an archive. Uh, of, of Jackson documents, and so uh, we define a Jackson document uh, fairly broadly. Um, it can be obviously correspondence to him, correspondence that he sent, but it also includes drafts of um, speeches and, and other documents. It includes military records, although we're out of the military phase of his career now, but um, military records, um, legal papers uh, from his, his legal practice. Um, it includes other kinds of government records. There's a, I mean, just a vast amount of paper is generated during his presidency. And, and sometimes it'll just be, you know, he'll scrawl something, some note on it, you know, to send this to the Secretary of State or whatever it might be. But but they all count as, as Jackson documents so, by our criteria. So
0: if he scrawls something, even very briefly on a note, you're under an obligation to include that or do you have... Uh, so sort of editorial authority to say, well, we're just going to not include this simply because it's two lines?
1: We, we account for it. Okay. Um, so there are more than 100,000 total documents. We don't work with the originals. We work with either uh, paper copies or with, with digital uh, copies. But, but each document uh, gets a folder and we work our way chronologically through them. And so um, in any given volume, Uh, We will usually print in full around 500 documents, and we will include a list, uh, a calendar list of the other documents, which might be 1500 or so in a a presidential volume. And so those will provide a full citation for the location of the original as well as a a one uh, sentence summary of the contents. Um, And so every every scrap that we classify as a Jackson document is accounted for. Mm
0: -hmm. Now this is a a significant undertaking, obviously, Um, what are your funding sources for this?
1: Right, we are uh, grateful for support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Historical Publications and Records Commission, those are both um, long-standing partners and supporters of the project, the Tennessee Historical Commission, uh, we have a, a good relationship with, and the Watson Brown Foundation. That's, it, it, it costs quite a bit of money to keep, keep the lights on.
0: I bet, I bet.
1: Uh, uh, this is a little
0: bit of a uh, in-the-weeds question, but I'm curious. The originals, where are they? In, in Washington, or are they spread around? Or
1: They're, they're all over. The, the largest single collection of Jackson's papers are in the Library of Congress, um, and, and people can actually access those digitally. Um, you can see the originals um, in that way. Um, there's significant collections in Tennessee State Archives, um, but and then there's a, a lot of them live in the National Archives, especially during the presidential years. So that's where you'll have records from all the different uh, cabinet level departments, um, from the judiciary and, and uh, from the military. And so uh, in the presidential years, uh, a large number of, of our uh, our documents come from from there, but others are, are scattered all around the country and, and and some around the world. So we've we've uh, found things in the UK and, and Mexico and other 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 nations as well.
0: Do 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 you find people sometimes writing to you saying I think I have something from Jackson in my personal papers my great grandfather left?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, we have a relationship with uh, descendants of the Coffee family who we're, were very close to Jackson in, in Tennessee. So there are items in private collections. We also um, we we regularly accession new items. The 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 search didn't really end in nineteen eighty-six when they the project kind of closed the books. We we still we still bring in new uh, new documents. So in our, our most recent volume, um, there's over 70 uh, new items that have been uh, brought to our attention since about 2004. So it's, it's an active, it's, it's a living and, and growing archive. And, and often it comes from manuscript dealers um, who will who will find these things. In fact, I, I heard from one I was very grateful um, just last week who, who said, we, we found this. Uh, do you need it? Do you need, you know, and, the, and they, they were willing to, to scan and, and send us a copy. This and was it, something
0: by Jackson. Uh,
1: yes. Huh. Yes. Uh and uh, one that we knew existed but we only knew a a kind of a summary of it from an older dealer catalogue. So it was in our files but we didn't have the full document and and therefore we wouldn't wouldn't be able to print it and so now we'll be able to read it and because it's in Jackson's hand it will almost certainly be printed in full.
0: Again this is a very (laughs) perhaps peculiar question but doesn't that mess up your chronology a bit. I mean, conceivably, you've already done, you know, this volume for this year, yes. and then you get a new letter that happens to fit there, but you're three volumes after that. What
1: do you do with that? So this is, you know, we we expect this will be a, a project that will take about 15 more years to complete if we continue at the current pace, but there will be a question at the end of what to do with, with accessioned items that, that appeared too late. and And uh, a lot of projects in the past have published a, a kind of supplemental volume. Um, we, we may do that. We, we have a long relationship with the University of Tennessee Press who, who publishes all of our, our volumes. Um, we may also uh, issue a, a microfilm supplement. One of the things that we've tried to do is make originals available in microfilm form of all of, of the Jackson papers. So there's the Library of Congress edition. There's a few others that are, are in um, the li- uh, National Archives. And then the project actually, uh, I don't know if published is the right word, but but, but issued a, a microfilm edition in 1986 that, that fills in the gaps. And so we may simply add a new um, digital and and microfilm uh, edition.
0: So one of the advantages of putting these things online is that you would avoid that, that difficulty of where to place things. You simply insert them retrospectively. Mm-hmm. and. That's, of course, the, the tension between the printed word, mm-hmm. which has the gravity and endurance of a, of a, of a project like this, mm-hmm. and then I suppose the Library of Congress equivalency you know, is online, mm-hmm. um, and it's a bit more plastic and flexible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any plans to replicate the Library of Congress online presence so that you don't have this problem of fitting things back in?
1: Well, the, the print volumes are available uh, digitally in two formats. They're they're downloadable um, through the University of Tennessee Press as PDFs. Those can't really grow in that way because it's just the print volume. They're also available through the University of Virginia uh, Rotunda Press, where they're searchable across their other um, early American uh, publications, so the Alexander Hamilton papers and, and uh, collections like that. Um, and those will actually uh sends you live links from our edited version to the originals if they're in the library of congress digital edition so it's 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 integrated in that that, way
0: that's how long has that been live it's been
1: going for about 12 years now is it really Mm -hmm. very interesting
0: so you're dealing with i mean the scale of this thing is quite impressive and probably difficult to get your arms around at some level and I'm gonna, I'll ask you an unfair question. I'm just kind of curious and voyeuristic about this, but is there anything you know, that you come across and think, that's really interesting that we didn't know about this? Or does that kind of novelty, is it just a fantasy? I mean, you're kind of aware that these things are out there. You might see some reference to it, then you actually discover it. Is there anything that's sort of brand new that you went, well, I never...
1: We, yeah, we we still we still are surprised. Uh, J- Jackson um, still still can surprise us, and the people in his in his orbit uh, can as well. I mean, one of one of the more interesting finds is actually it's another one in, in 1835. So we get kind of a sneak peek at, at the next the next volume um, is a, a threatened assassination um, from Junius Brutus Booth. The father of the infamous John Wilkes Booth and himself uh, a, a well known actor in the 1830s. Um, this was, a, it's a signed assassination threat. Um, and for a long time, <laughs> people assumed that it was, you know, someone else had uh, basically put a celebrity's name. Quite recently, uh, on they this. would assume yes. this, right? Um, but uh, we we confirmed uh, th- through handwriting comparison that it really was uh, the elder Booth, um, and that uh, he he was angry at Jackson for Jackson's uh, reluctance to pardon uh, some pirates from Spain. <laughs> uh, um, <you laughs> couldn't Booth like this kind really of taken could up you? <laughs> with. <yeah. laughs> so this this featured on an episode of History Detectives uh, on PBS. So you can you can learn more uh, about that. Um, there's also mysteries that are in there. Um, so. Uh, you know, Jackson had no biological children, but he had several adopted sons, and, and one of them went off to Philadelphia and committed some kind of indiscretion. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't quite know what it was, but he received quite a scolding uh, in, in correspondence from his, his father, and um, Jackson liked to write the same letters to his, his sons over and over again. So for a period of weeks, he's writing to them almost every day basically saying the same things about how he made some some moral error and we don't we don't know what that was. So so let me
0: get this right. So he's 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 chastising his sons with the roughly a reiterated letter, but at no point does he give any hint of what it is that no. he's done.
1: No, he doesn't come out and say what it is.
0: I think that's a surprising character trait i mean uh, people would often assume wrongly apparently that jackson was forthright candid and in your face mm-hmm. but he obviously has that sort of discretion of the early 19th century where he's not yeah. going to say these things and yeah. perhaps tells you the gravity of this i think it does huh. i think it
1: does oh, yeah. what's, your, what's your guess I, I think it's a sexual indiscretion yeah i, of some it is. Kind. Yeah. I mean yeah. T- to be something that, that jackson wouldn't want to talk about it it, it wasn't a fight no. Um, it 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 may have it may have had to do with 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 drinking as well. Would be the other, but, but those could go hand in hand. Yeah,
0: so. sure, absolutely. So when you look back at uh, all the biographies written on Jackson, and you know, bearing in mind that many of the early ones simply wouldn't have had access to what even ten percent of what you have access to. Yeah. I'm not asking you for your favourite biography of Jackson, but I'm kind of curious, which one is sort of the most impressive given the limited amount of information that the person would have at the time?
1: Actually, I would highlight one that goes back far enough that it was written at a time when the author had information that we can't have anymore, and that's the really early James Parton, uh, three-volume biography It's published in the late 1850s and the final volume in 1860, because Parton... He's a, an early professional biographer. He'd written about Horace Greeley uh, and other kind of, you know, high-profile Americans of the, of the antebellum period. And he went on this incredible journey um, to meet people who had known Jackson throughout his life. So he tours the Carolinas and, and, and talks to people who uh, knew Jackson as a, as a very young man um, and, and, and had, some were surprised that he'd made it as far as he did. Mm-hmm. Um, He talked to a lot of his Jackson's friends in, in, in Tennessee, you know, active politicians in, in, in Washington and and elsewhere. And he's able to gather a tremendous amount of, you know, we'd call it oral history material um, that simply would have been lost if he hadn't done it. And so I think we owe Parton a great debt. There's, there's a certain amount of, of Jackson lore that always has to be used very carefully because people like to tell and retell, retell stories about him. Um, but I, I think that, I mean, it, it, it has it has stood the test of time as, as being, you know, used and cited regularly in a way that most 19th century histories are not. Um, and I think it's because of that immediate human access uh, to, you know, he, he was writing it only about a decade That's in, right. after Jackson's death.
0: If I remember correctly, doesn't John Meacham rely on that quite extensively? He That gives it the, the kind of vivid quality that Meacham's yes. book has, yes. because yes. Parton's voice is so immediate and present. It is, it huh. is. Huh.
1: My, my my colleague, one of the uh, associate editors, Tom Cohens, is actually working to publish an edited edition of, of Parton's notebooks. He kept these extensive notebooks that are housed at, at Harvard and um, so he's he's working to arrange uh, editing, and, and he'll write an introduction that kind of frames what, what Parton's project was. I also think you could do a really interesting kind of digital history with this um, to to kind of retrace his route. You, know, you could do an you could do an app, yeah, uh, for example. Right. You know, you ah. kind of re re uh, relive Parton's journey. Do you know how many miles we covered? I don't. But it's, it's it's a lot. It's a trek. Yeah, it would be it would be a long driving trip. I think that
0: is very. Mm. In, has anybody thought of that?
1: I don't, I don't think That's so. very clever.
0: I'd patent that straight away if I would. Mean. it's yeah. very clever. Um, so as you as you look at this, you're projected to finish when with the papers?
1: About 2035. 2035.
0: So. And you're up to 1835 now.
1: We're working on 35 now, yes. 35 yes. now. Yes. So that, we'll, we'll do two more presidential volumes, and then we're projected to do three post-presidential volumes. Okay.
0: And so... Uh, what is, what is the, the lapse time between you completing your work and the actual publication of 35?
1: So we, I mean, right now the 1834 volume is in press. It's in, it's in production. Um, indexing these is a, a task in, in itself, and so that'll take several months um, later this year. So it's usually about a year between when we submit the, the manuscript and when it actually appears in print.
0: So is there any um, student involvement in the Andrew Jackson papers? Do do the folks, the undergraduates and graduates at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, do they participate
1: in this? They do. Um, We have a a long uh, history of of recruiting uh, talent from among the graduate students uh, to serve as as graduate research assistants. Um, We have a fantastic uh, person with us right now, Kiana Riles, Um, is doing a lot of of digital history work to increase and, and improve the presence of, of documents on the website. Um, and we're, we're, we're slated to, uh, later this year, to, to um, release uh, and make public about, it'll eventually be a total of about 200 documents um, that are all written by Native Americans to Jackson, uh, mostly from, from the Southeast, uh, Choctaw and, and, and Chickasaw in particular were g- going to be the focus early on. Um, and some of these, we've uncovered in our research, um, they didn't technically, qualify as Jackson documents because they may have been sent through a kind of intermediary. Um, But Jackson is clearly the intended recipient. Um, And so we we wanted to make those available in in a way even if they hadn't been included in earlier volumes because they're important and and many of them haven't been used before. So Kiana is doing a lot of the work to prepare uh, those documents for digital publication. Um, I've also taught a, a course, an undergraduate uh, course for advanced undergraduate history students um, who did some editing work as well as, as part of the course. And so they took ownership of a, of a document that hasn't been done yet and, uh, and and worked on transcribing and annotating it as well as writing about it.
0: Invaluable exercise, I should I think so. imagine. I think so. um, you know, not least because just dealing with cursive, old documents People tend to forget this, but many students at university now, they type. They they often don't write very much at all. Mm -hmm. And when they do write, it's it's usually not in cursive. Mm -hmm. And it's a sort of dying art. And then to take a student who's 19 or 20 today and put them back into the 1830s, and have a look at original. Re- what, what's their reaction when they first
1: see the, these these scripts? Shock and dismay. <laughs> what, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah. And it's interesting. Um, some and it really has. There, there's no correlation with kind of you know academic performance more generally. Some just get it very quickly, and they they just they just kind of um, acclimate to to the to the to the script, um, and, and others don't. And um, you know, there, there there's techniques and 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 I think you know you I, I try to find documents that I think are, are reasonable I mean there's a few people in Jackson's inner circle who are just uh, it's just awful uh, Martin van Buren is one John Forsyth who's the Secretary of War uh, for a while is uh, Secretary of State uh, for a while is, is another and they're they're just um, I wouldn't give them to an undergraduate. Uh, because they're difficult even for you. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: You sometimes come across that, that writing that is just impenetrable. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what is this, a spider dipped in <laughs> ink walking yeah. across a page? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. When you, when you survey the land of presidential papers and editions, which one stands out to you as a really exemplary um, you know, example of, of how it should be done?
1: I mean, the, the, the Thomas Jefferson project is has been going for seventy plus years now, and um, I mean they there's a level of um, thoroughness there that I, I think is quite quite remarkable in, in terms of chasing down leads and 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 writing. They they use a lot more supporting text than we do, a lot more um, kind of explanatory notes and head notes and things. Um, and that that that's a that's a decision that there's a kind of art. To that and and, and, a, and a practical decision about what to do, but 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 I think I think that stands out as, as a very good a very good one. Um, not a U.S. president, but but the papers of Jefferson Davis um, are, are also uh, I think ex- extremely good. That's a project that has finished. Uh, it was based at Rice University and one that you know deeply in, influenced my own work. But I think is also a, a very good uh, model for how how this. Can
0: so I, I know you're very careful and concerned to kind of curate your project with, so artisanal is a word I've heard you use to describe this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot to recommend that approach. It, it's slower, to be sure, yeah. but it's, it's right. And the the chances of mistakes are fewer. And there's something, there's a purity that, to the product that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, I take my hat off to you because I know it's painstaking work, but it's it's absolutely rewarding. Mm-hmm. Michael, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the Jackson Papers at the University of Tennessee? Is there something else you'd like to share with listeners about why it's important, um, where it's headed, or anything, really?
1: I mean, I guess for anyone who's who's curious about just what what they contain, I, I think it's important to know that, you know, Jackson looms large and a lot of the, the, the texts are, are in his hand, um, but a lot of them aren't, and he's he's so... Central of a figure um, in the time, especially in the presidential years, um, but he's such a central figure that he'll hear from just about everybody um, at some point. So, you know, we're we're. I, I've been doing some of the kind of scouting work on late 1835, and you know, there's um, there's letters from uh, you know Major Ridge, the the, the Cherokee uh, leader in there. There's a, a very public letter from uh, the Tappan brothers, leading New York abolitionists, um, who turn his own of protest against how the, the Senate has handled him in the bank war against him and say, you're, you're doing to the abolitionist what, what the Senate has done to you. Um, and so there's there, there's a lot of, um, it's a kind of cacophony of voices um, that, that appear in there. And I think that's, that's what makes them interesting. Um, and that's what makes them, I think, valuable for researchers in uh, a wide variety of fields. And it, it's always a source of pride to me to see where our work is being cited um, and just the really exciting variety of, of, of historians and, and other scholars who, who you know find something of value in, in what we've done.
0: And in a, in a poetic way, it's that very cacophony that foreign observers, when they visited the United States in the 1830s, they described this age of Jackson as noisy and cacophonous and as a multiplicity of voices. Mm-hmm. And you're capturing that in the very papers themselves, it's reflecting that, that a signature of the age.
1: I think it is. I think it is. I think it's it's a different take on what Jacksonian democracy is, right? It's not just a party. It's it's a, it's the contest over who, who who that democracy includes and how it's supposed to work. Uh, and I think I think it's that that conflict that's that's what makes it such a fascinating period.
0: Nicely put, Professor Michael Woods. Thank you for your take on the South. Thank you. That was our Take on the South. Let us know yours. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at U of SC South. Take on the South is produced by Matt Simmons of the Institute for Southern Studies. Special thanks to Professor Dave Garner of the University of South Carolina School of Music for composing our music. Tune in next time for another Take on the South.